Good morning. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Well, hey, it's summer, and with summer has come a blazing inferno of heat. <laughs> I don't know how you felt this week. I was at camp all week. Um, matter of fact, uh, I, was, I got to teach uh, 10th graders, so myself and another pastor uh, who's in Potosi, Missouri, his name's Jim Ainley, uh, taught all the 10th graders uh, at the camp we were at. Um, had a great time, and, and I, w- I want to encourage you with this, and I think this is one of the beauties of, of being a part of it, is I am encouraged um, and excited uh, as we see what the next generation that's chasing hard after Jesus is going to be able to do. And I believe that uh, as we looked a couple weeks ago at what it means uh, when we're talking about living in the end, um, you know, Matthew 24 says that then the gospel were preached uh, to every tribe and tongue and nation, then the end will come. And I believe we see and hear a heart of teenagers who say, whatever it takes uh, to see people come and hear the good news of the gospel, we're willing to do it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're continuing our sermon series, You Asked For It. And then if you'll put your finger there, Luke chapter 10, and you can turn to First Peter chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 8 and 9 there. But we're going to kind of jump around through a couple of scriptures as well. But uh, I want to tell you a little story. There was a boxer who was honestly being pummeled in the ring by his opponent. Round after round and blow after blow, he kept getting hit. And at the end of the fifth round, while he was sitting in the corner with his training crew and stuff, with a bloody nose and his cut on his eye that was swollen shut, he could barely see. And of course, just like every good trainer would say, the, the battered boxer's trainer looks at him and says, you're doing great. The bum's barely touching you. At which point the boxer responded, then you better keep an eye on the ref because I don't know who's killing me. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I want you to think about that because today we're going to be talking about this idea of spiritual warfare. And I want you to understand that a lot of times we don't understand what entirely is going on around us. And what we need to know is based upon the truth of Scripture that there are spiritual battles taking place all around us. Most of the times we can't see them. Sometimes we do see them. Sometimes we see them in physical ways. Sometimes we see them in emotional and mental ways and different things like that. But we live in a world that is honestly a constantly raging battle. We face a real opponent who doesn't fight fair and is wreaking havoc. I grew up uh, in... I grew up in a Christian family, but I also grew up in a time frame when there was just times where you settled the score with fists. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? My dad had three rules. And I've, if you've been here long enough, you've heard these rules. I've talked about it. My dad had three rules. Was rule number one is you never start a fight. You always try and walk away. Uh, but once the fight's on, it's on. And you got to do whatever you got to do to protect it. Rule number two was you never fight fair. Now, in today's world, I got to clarify, right? Because the minute everybody says you never fight fair, right? They're like, what? And I'm like, well, okay, I'm talking, it was fists, knees, whatever. It was never weapons, right? You fight, you fight, you, you know, nose, throat, groin, whatever it took, right? Um, if you've watched, uh, if you watched, uh, what, what's that show? Oh my gosh, Sandra Bullock. Um, Miss Congeniality. <laughs> Teach them how to sing, solar plex instep, nose, groin. No, I mean, just so. <laughs> but here's what we have to begin to understand as we walk through this idea of does spiritual warfare exist? Is it still happening? What's it look like? How do we deal with it? And things like this is that we are surrounded by 
a world that is controlled by Satan. And what scripture tells us is there is a time and a place that God has turned over the world to allow Satan to sift it and to see what's going to happen. And God, listen, God is still at work, right? But Satan is actively pursuing many. And here's the reality. Many people are so beat up, just like that boxer. Many people are so beat up and discouraged by what's going on around them that oftentimes you can't see what it is that's going on around us. And what I want us to do is to look into scripture and see what takes place in spiritual warfare. And honestly, one sermon is not enough. And, and we're, we're already planning some stuff. We're going to, uh, at some point in time, we're going to go through Ephesians 6. I'm trying to plan this next year's preaching calendar. But Ephesians 6, uh, where it talks about putting on the full armor of God. We really want to do a a whole sermon series on that. But um, here's the big idea. Before we jump into scripture, I'm going to give you the big idea, and then we're going to jump in and read this text. Spiritual warfare is a conflict being waged by Satan against God and his work in order to destroy God's creation. In order to destroy God's creation, Satan is actively working against God. Okay. Now, there's a number of things we begin to understand as we see what plays out here. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. It's very simple, a couple verses. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse uh, 17. All right? And it says this, the 72, this is 72 different disciples who were following Jesus, returned with joy, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And then Jesus replies, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, there's something important for us to understand here because when Jesus is making this statement, it's important for us to understand that these, these disciples, these people have saw God work in a great way. And as God was working in this great way, they come back and they tell him, man, this is so awesome. The, the very thing that you have promised is, is what's happening. The demons submit to us in your name. Now, I want you to understand too that there was a point in time where there were some people who called on the name of Jesus to try and defeat some demons, right? But they didn't, they weren't a part of Jesus. They were just calling on the name of Jesus because they had heard the name of Jesus be provoked or invoked in, in order to beat the demons. And what ends up happening is these guys get beat so bad that they're stripped naked and sent tuck and tail running. And they're like, well, we don't know what the heck just happened. Right? And so it's important for us to understand that number one, there's a balance. Like I think there's a balance in how we approach spiritual warfare right? There are some who are so enamored with it that they look at everything from a spiritual warfare aspect, or they get into all kinds of crazy stuff. And then there are others who are like, ah, it's just, it's no big deal. And you ignore it. So I believe that there's a balance in the middle where we look and we see, hey, spiritual warfare warfare is evident. It is prevalent. It's going on all around us. But at the same time, we don't lose our mind to, to where we don't have some control right? We're not self-controlled in what's going on. So Luke chapter 10, if you'll notice, Jesus talks about the beginning of what happened with Satan. Number one, I want you to see this as we jump in. I want you to see that Satan was once an angel of the Lord. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So what we understand from scripture and what we understand is that at one point Satan was part of God's heavenly army right? But pride arose 
and different things where he decided he wanted to have power and authority. And it says that, that he was cast out of heaven. And as he was cast out of heaven, it says, Jesus literally says, I saw him fall like lightning out of heaven or from heaven. And so we have to understand that he is someone who was in a relationship with the Father in the Son and the Spirit because he is not a created... This is one of those things we have to understand. He is not created like you and I. Angels are not like what we are, right? Angels are spoken to existence. We were formed and fashioned, right? For some of us, for some reason, we got this idea that when you die, you're going to go to heaven and you become an angel. But we don't see that anywhere in Scripture, we do see that we die, we go to heaven, and we sit at the right hand of the Father with the Son, and we're going to spend time in eternity worshiping, and there's going to be angels all around, and they're going to be proclaiming the good news of the gospel. They're going to say that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. They're going to acknowledge who Jesus is. But Satan was once an angel of the Lord. But yet, as a result of pride and everything else that goes on, he decides he wants to usurp authority. And I want you to think about it this way, because oftentimes in our lives, we like to usurp authority away from the one who created us, right? Each one of us are given a, or, or have a, a, a God-sized hole that we try and fill with everything else. We try and fill it with sinful things. We think that'll bring value and purpose. We try and fill it with pleasure. We try and fill it with acceptance. We try and fill it with substances. We try and fill it with all kinds of things, but God made that hole specifically for him. And it's when he fills it, then we begin to understand what it means to be full of life. So number one, Satan was an angel of the Lord. Number two, he masquerades as an angel of light. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 says that. Now, anybody ever been to a masquerade ball? I haven't, all right, but I've seen them on TV, right, in, the, in the, the movies, right? Somebody always has some masquerade ball, I don't know, masquerade dance or whatever to school or something like that. But what is the point of this masquerade ball or masquerade dance is to what? Act like you're something else, right? And so what scripture tells us is that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. In other words, he looks really nice. He's pleasing, what he offers looks like it might bring me life. It might bring me some fulfillment. It might bring some hope. It might bring some healing. Oftentimes, those are the things that we begin to run toward or fill our lives with. So he masquerades as an angel of light. But in John chapter 8, verse 42, and you could flip over there if you want, or it may be up on the screen here. He says this, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am now here. I have not come on my own, because he, or, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. And this is Jesus, and he's being very uh, aggressive toward the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And listen to what he says to these guys who are coming after him. He says, you belong to the father, your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. Now, I want you to see here are these characteristics. He once was an angel of the Lord. He masquerades as an angel of light, right? And now listen to what it says. This is Jesus' direct words. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you, do you see what plays out in Scripture when we look at Satan, we look at spiritual warfare, we think about what's going on around us? He masquerades 
as an angel of light. He's not only is he a liar, but it says he's the father of lies and there is no good in him. Right? Like when I hear people say, you know what, if that means I'll split hell wide open, I'll be okay. Like, I don't think we understand the brevity and, and, and the, the chaos of what's going to happen down there and the, the destruction. Number two, or number three, sorry, the devil blinds the minds of unbelievers. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that he puts a veil or a blind over those people who don't see, right? Romans tells it this way, for we suppress the truth, like God is knocking our heart, God is trying to call to us, he's trying to speak truth to us, but yet we suppress the truth because of the wickedness of in, our, in, in our heart. And so we have a wicked heart, and then we've got Satan who's in spiritual warfare blinding the minds of unbelievers, blinding the eyes so they don't see truth, blinding their hearts so they don't open themselves up. And then the last thing we see, and we could go on and on and on, in John chapter 10, it says that he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Now, as you think about that in what's going on in, in our society right now, right? He comes, he comes to steal your joy. He comes to steal peace. He comes to steal hope. He loves to steal any sort of desire for truth. When we spend time in God's word, then we're operating in the truth. We're reading the truth. We're asking ourselves, what does this mean for my life, right? What's going on in, in, in our current circumstances in, in society and in culture? What's going on in those circumstances? What's going on in our culture? And then we begin to look at those things through the lens of Scripture, and we look at everything differently, completely differently, right? Like, as an individual, as a believer, based upon what Scripture says is we were put here as stewards of God's earth, right? We are created on a different level than animals. So like ASPCA stuff, like don't get me wrong. I think we got to be stewards of our animals, right? But at the same time, an animal should never take superiority over a human, never. I don't care where you line up. That may hurt your feelings. It's okay, you'll have to get over it because the Bible says that humanity is always higher than an animal. Always. Always. Everybody say always. I'm sorry, I was teaching 10th graders all week. Always. Always, right? Humanity always is of more value than any animal ever created. But listen to me. When I operate with a proper format and understanding, then I am here to steward the very creation that God spoke into existence, which is the animals, the earth, and everything else, right? When I hear people say, hey, how can you, how can you live with yourself hunting? Well, the Bible talks about how animals are to provide food for us, right? But I take that very seriously, I steward it very seriously. I'm not one that's just going to go out and just shoot whatever it is and then leave it dead on the side of the road, right? So I steward things very cautiously and carefully. But it's important for us to understand that he's come to steal, to kill. He wants to do everything he can to kill you, to kill your hope, your desires, your passions, and yourself, your life. He wants you to walk away in blindness. He wants you to not turn towards God. And then he says, I'm here to destroy everything. Now, it's important for us to understand what that means. He's not just here to destroy humanity. He's here to destroy all of God's 
creation, all of God's work. He works consistently over and over and over to try and do that very thing. That's why in Romans chapter 8, it says, all of creation is groaning, awaiting the Savior to come. So number one, Satan was once an angel of the Lord, and then he has all these characteristics. He masquerades as an angel of light. He is the father of lies. He is, uh, blinds the minds of unbelievers, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Number two, I want you to see this. If spiritual warfare is a conflict being waged by Satan against God and his work in order to destroy God's creation, then we have to fight against, or we fight against, a fierce rival. A fierce rival. If you have 1 Peter chapter uh, 5, verse 8. Let me flip over there real quick. We're going to read this. First Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 8, and we're going to read through verse 9, and we're going to kind of camp out here. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? Devour. Yes. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. So listen, the enemy is not thinking about your success or winning, but is looking for ways to attack. I always put it this way, in a military strategy type idea, he's putting on a full frontal assault, and he's going to attack at every point he can attack at. And so we fight against a fierce rival. And here's the reality, and here's what's crazy, all right? A lot of times we go, well, that's fine. Satan, bring it on. I'll take you on. You and I are powerless to do anything against Satan in and of ourselves. You and I do not have the power or the authority to defeat Satan on our own. You don't. It's very clear. Over and over and over again, when the disciples try and do certain things, and all of a sudden it's like, what the heck is going on, right? There's a point where the disciples try and cast the demon out of a young boy, and they can't do it. And Jesus goes, oh, you guys of little faith, right? You're so weak. You don't get it. This only comes out through prayer. Why does it come out through prayer? Why is this demon only cast out through prayer? Because prayer is the us doing work to seek the power of God to do what only God can do. We said that just a couple of weeks ago, right? When I pray, I'm seeking God and the power of God to do what only God can do. In other words, I am calling out to God, God, this is only you. It's all you. It's all about you. If you can do anything, I want you to do this. And so we're seeking God out in that. And listen, when I say that, I'm going back to rule number two with what my dad said. We don't fight fair. We have to fight to win. And the way we fight to win is we fight on our knees. We fight with the battle. We don't follow the rules of war, rules of engagement. Like if you're in a, a, the United States Army or the military, we have to follow the Geneva Convention and rules of engagement, different things like that. We don't do that. We fight on the terms that God set up. And so when we fight, we can fight beginning with prayer. Keep in mind, Jesus looks at his own disciples and says, oh, you of little faith. Right? So lest you think that you're more powerful to, than the disciples, lest you think that you're more wise or more faithful than disciples, let's always remember this, that spiritual warfare, because of its, because of its difficulty, 
Because of who we face is a, is a, is a fierce battle. It's a fierce rival that we've got to a, a attack or take on under the power of the Holy Spirit by spending time in prayer. See, make no mistake, the enemy has an assault plan, and he will attack on many fronts. Matter of fact, I try and say it this way. Oftentimes, we think Satan's going to hit us hard when sometimes Satan flanks us and comes right at the weakest points. Right? Right? When you think everything's going fine and I don't need to be on my guard over here, Satan attacks us where we're weakest. Happens all the time. Right? We open doors because of sin. So, in other words, in my life, I like to do certain things. I like to sin and I'm going to follow through with that sin. And so, as a result, I open the door. And when I open that door, it's like, here you go, Satan. I'm going to drop all my defenses in this area. And when I drop all my defenses in this area, Satan walks in easily and he overcomes us. That's why, keep in mind what he says here, be self-controlled and alert. What does he mean by self-controlled? Right? Well, oftentimes what ends up happening in in, in, in the truth of our lives What we end up dealing with is we're not self-controlled, and since we're not self-controlled, we open the door, and we go into sin, and we run headlong into sin. We're trapped or entangled by the chains and the bondage of sin, and as a result, it's not self-control. There's no control. So he says, be self-controlled and alert, right? We have to learn to fight with the truth. I want you to think about this. When, when Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, if we were to go in and read the, the temptation of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted in three separate ways. And every time he, while being tempted, answers with the truth of God's word. Every time. So as you and I are walking through our daily lives, as we're dealing with difficulties and struggles, as we look at the overwhelming attacks that Satan may be placing upon us, as we're fighting the sin that so easily entangles us and in our lives, then what we have to do is we have to fight those attacks of Satan with Scripture. Anybody ever heard of praying Scripture? Like you literally pray the verses of Scripture. I use Scripture as a weapon. No weapon formed against me is ever going to prosper is what, the, what, what God says. We're very clear. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? Psalm 119, 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee, that I won't sin against you, God. See, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross defeats the work of Satan in one fatal swoop, but it's through knowing God's word that we can resist Satan daily. So keep this in mind. I have to be self-controlled and I have to be alert. I always think about alert because I always think about keeping watch. And I said that a couple weeks ago about what it meant to keep watch on a Navy ship. But keeping watch was always being alert to the circumstances and surroundings that are going on around you. And you watch for the, for the unthinkable. You watch for the things that don't seem right. 
when you got somebody who just doesn't look right, when you got somebody who's in a place that they're not supposed to be, when you got somebody who's carrying something they're not supposed to carry, you, you, you're, you're staying alert to the circumstances of what's going around. And then self-control is this idea of this, that I have to control my emotions, I have to control my behavior and my desires in the midst of, listen, external demands and pressures. So I learned self-control by not giving in to the sin that so easily entangles me. So, listen, emotions, when not controlled, can become the playground of the enemy. And so we learn to fight with the truth of God. I learn to keep my emotions in check with the truth of God. That when somebody steps out of line or when somebody treats me bad, then I use scripture to call myself into correction. I use scripture to calm me down when I might be getting a little bit frustrated or angry. And so as I do this, I learn to fight with the truth of God because if I don't, listen, Spiritual warfare is going on around you, whether you see it or not, whether you believe it or not, there is a battle for your life. And please hear me out. This is for believer and unbeliever. This is for a person who says, yeah, I believe, but I'm, I, and I'm following Jesus, and maybe you've confessed Jesus, but listen, once you get into that, that doesn't mean you're off the hook. It just means Satan's going to come at you even harder. That was one of the statements we had this week for students. Students are making decisions to either follow Christ or committing their lives to gospel ministry or, or rededicating their lives because they said, hey, you know, I just haven't really taken this thing that seriously. But I can guarantee you what happens. The minute you make a decision to follow Christ, the minute you make a decision that says, this is what I'm going to do in obedience to Jesus, Satan always kicks the door open trying to do something else. That's when it's the hardest. And if I leave that door open, just a little bit, just a little bit, he kicks it open. I'll even think of it this way. Maybe you don't open the door, but you're not willing to lock it, right? You got the door closed, but you're like, ah, I'll leave it unlocked. See, it's kind of like a thief or a robber if you really want to think about it, Right? A thief or robber always is looking for easy access, quick, something I can get in, get out, take your stuff, and gone, right? A couple years ago, Ron McPhail uh, goes to our church, mows our lawn and stuff like that. Ron was right out here. He was parked. He had his truck parked here, and I was standing back here in the office. Ron came in. We're standing right out in front of the office. We're talking, and I was like, hey, Ron, who's in your truck with you? Because I'd never seen him ever bring anybody. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, whoa, man, I busted out that front door and I took off running at the guy. The guy like pops his head up over the dash, sees me, takes off running up towards Santa Fe Park. I'm calling 911. I'm running after the guy. 911 operator's like, stop pursuing him. I'm like, dude, I'm getting an ID. He's like, sir, stop pursuing him. <laughs> right? But Ron left his window down. No keys in there. I'm just going in to talk to Pastor Brian. My truck's sitting right here. Left his windows down. Guy took advantage just like that. I looked at the police officer after they arrested the guy. I said, how long until that guy had that car? He goes, 15 more seconds. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, a good guy can do it in about 30. I was like, what? They can steal a car in 30 seconds? He goes, some of them, they can get in about 15. It just depends on what you got. If you got a Ford, uh, Ford F-250, good luck. 
That's the most stolen vehicle in Kansas City. I don't know if you knew that, but <laughs> all right. So we have to be alert. We have to be watchful. We have to be prepared for any and every situation. We have to be on the lookout. See, our enemy is committed to doing everything possible to make us ineffective in our personal lives, in our ministries, in our families. And he does that, listen, by letting us think it's okay. It's okay to sin. It's okay to continue in your disobedience. God loves you, right? But there is a difference between an open and blatantly disobedient walk against God's word and what we'll call sins that we know happen, but yet we repent and confess. See, an open and blatant thing says, I don't need to repent, I don't need to confess, and I don't need Jesus to heal me and make me a new creation. I'm just going to walk in sin. And he's going to have to get over it, and he's going to have to like it, or that's just the way it is. And then there's the other person who says, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And yes, I sin, and I still struggle, but each and every day I preach the gospel to me, and each and every day I confess my sins. Why? Because he is faithful and just to forgive me of any and all unrighteousness, but it doesn't mean that I can continue to walk in sin, that I gotta take part in a fight. I gotta take part in a battle of what's going on, and I have to really begin to follow Jesus. And number four, I want you to see is this, that we have to fight by standing firm in the faith. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter Chapter five again, he says, be self-controlled and alert. And here's why. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour him and the, or devour. And then he says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. That idea of resist is the reality of I'm gonna put something up to stop him. I'm gonna lock the door. I'm gonna take a stand. But I'm doing it. I resist him by standing firm in the faith. In other words, I align my life with the truth of Scripture. I stand tall on the truth that Jesus, listen, defeated sin, defeats death, defeats all of the chaos and the hurt and the heartache and the destruction that Satan wants to bring and offers me life. Remember John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have. Sorry, losing my voice, maybe, I don't know. I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. So here's what I'm convinced of. The world is good with barely getting by. And I would even say this, that I think at times as believers, we're good with just barely getting by. Give me enough Jesus to just get the job done, but Jesus, you gotta stay out of everything else because there's just too much fun to be had. Right? You get what I'm saying, right? Give me just enough Jesus to get me into heaven. But Jesus, you got to let me do everything else because I want to take all that stuff with me. And that don't happen. When you stand at the gates of heaven, the only thing you can claim, the only hope you have is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. When God says, why should I let you in? Because I'm with him. And I'm with him, and as a result of walking with him, as a result of believing in him, I was convicted day in and day out of the sins in my life that I have to turn over to him. I'm not looking at everybody else, right? I'm looking at what's going on in my life, and I'm convicted of those sins, and I want to walk in obedience. But please hear me out with this. Scripture tells us that some 
are just going to continue to leave the doors wide open. And you're going to walk into the sin, and you're going to ask, I don't understand why God doesn't bless this. Why does God not bless my life? Why is God not answering my prayers? Why is God not doing this? Why is God not doing that? And the truth of the matter is this, that when you walk in open disobedience, what we see in Scripture, is there's a point in time where God's going to say, all right, fine, it's yours. You got it. Because here's what's really happening. Jesus is pursuing you the whole time. Jesus pursues, 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 and instead of turning and acknowledging and accepting, you continue to walk away. And Jesus will always be here. The problem is you continue to walk into a life of sin that continues to push yourself further and further and further away, and that's how spiritual warfare works. I have never met a person who continues to walk in disobedience to God who is faithfully reading the word and praying. Never. You want to know why? Because every time I read, I touched the Bible and that thing went off. I don't know what happened. (laughs) It didn't shock me either, but I don't know what happened. But every time I read God's word, the Bible says his word will will not return void. That God's word convicts. We just talked about this last week, right? It corrects, it rebukes, it trains, and it teaches us in righteousness. That when I read scripture, that I begin to see my weaknesses and my flaws, but I see God's power. And here's the beauty of this. When we talk about spiritual warfare, you and I are engaged in spiritual warfare. And listen, remember what I talked about? You don't have the power and ability and the authority to defeat Satan and the work of Satan around you, but you do have the power and authority to defeat the works of Satan in you. The same power that was at work in the resurrection of Jesus from the grave is the same power and authority that lives in you as a result of the Holy Spirit. And so when I go to battle with Satan, I go to battle knowing in humility that I submit myself to the Lord and the Lord's power is at work in me and I pray to the Lord and I ask him to guide me and direct me in all of those things that's taking place. Listen, what's going on in our world right now? You may look at it and go, well, that's just the craziness of the world. That's called spiritual warfare. The hate and the violence, and the racism, and all of those things are not God, they're Satan. Because he's come to steal, and to kill, and destroy. If we think that peace is possible while Satan is still in control, we are crazy and delusional. From a worldly standpoint. From a spiritual standpoint, Peace is possible because I rest in the authority of God's word. I sit under the authority of Jesus Christ and I have the power of the spirit living in me, which says, listen, no matter what goes on over here in the world, you can walk with peace and with hope and with contentment because you are written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen to Luke chapter 10 as we close up one more time because I want to understand what's going on here. I saw Satan fall like lightning, and I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy where nothing will harm you. However, listen, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
That's the promise. That's the hope. That when I am a blood-bought, redeemed believer who believes that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection purchased my life and I've placed my life in his hands, I've repented of my sins and I've turned and chased after him, then you will be saved. And my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's the only hope that we have. That's the only power and the authority we have when it comes to spiritual warfare. Listen, there is so much to spiritual warfare that we don't see going on. I believe wholeheartedly that a lot of what we see with depression and anxiety and worry is spiritual warfare. Now, hear me out on this. I'm not saying that doesn't mean that you don't need counseling or you may not need some medications and things like that. But listen, Satan is working overtime through all kinds of circumstances and situations to continue to wreak havoc in this world. And we continue, listen, we as believers have to stand firm in the faith so that we can understand that what goes on is spiritual warfare and we can fight against it through the power of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but as I watch news and everything else, or just watch the daily lives of people around me, right? It continues to seem like it gets worse and worse. But you and I, you and I were called to partake in a battle. A battle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Ephesians chapter 3, which is again, if you've been here long enough, you know is my favorite verse. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. His intent was now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Christ on the cross, Christ crucified, Christ resurrected. The manifold wisdom of God will be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Guess what? Every time you proclaim the good news of the gospel to somebody, every time you share the good news of the gospel with somebody, every time you share Jesus with somebody, guess what? You're partaking in spiritual warfare. You are taking the fight to the enemy. And make no mistake about it, church, that when we take the fight to the enemy, when we continue to pursue to overtake enemy territory, Every battle I've ever seen is that when, when one army pursues or goes into enemy territory and starts to take it over, the enemy pushes back even harder. And as that enemy pushes back even harder, we're going to face a more brutal battle. And we have to understand that we only overcome that battle through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross to walk in victory, to walk in hope, to walk in peace, to walk with dignity, and to walk with, with, with purpose because Jesus called us to that. Let's pray. Father, I'm reminded in James chapter four where it says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, but come near to God and he will come near to you. And Father, I have no doubt that we know that there is spiritual warfare going on all around us. God, I believe that there are some taking place right here, right now. And we know that the enemy has to flee when Jesus is present. And so, Lord, we pray right now, just in the midst of what's going on, that you force the enemy out. 
Do not give the enemy a voice. Do not allow them to whisper to anybody here in this room. Do not allow somebody to, to, to listen to the false hope and the false lies that Satan wants to spew into their minds. But God, that we would understand the truth of your word. We would see that all authority and all power is given to your son, Jesus. Not only did he speak everything into creation, but he died on the cross. He rose again and he offers us life and life more abundantly. So Lord, may we understand the truth that spiritual warfare is evident. Spiritual warfare is existent, but God, you are the answer. And so maybe today there are some with a heavy heart who would say, I have bought into the lies of Satan. I have bought into the lies that I'm no good, that I have no purpose. I bought into the lies that if I chase after sin, in some way my life will be fulfilled. When the truth of the matter is, God, our life is fulfilled in you. I believe right now, Lord, that you are convicting, that you are guiding. And maybe it's today that somebody needs to give their life to Christ for the first time. Maybe it's today somebody who says, listen, I've been walking in sin and I've been in blatant disobedience and it and they need to become a new creation. That's exactly what you call us to. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So Lord, today, may we just settle our hearts May we be content with where you have us. But yet at the same time, open and waiting for you to work to change us. God, may we stand firm in the faith and may we resist the devil. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to close with a song. As, uh, as we do. If you feel led, maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. I don't know where you're at. But you need to nail that down today. You're not promised tomorrow. None of us are promised tomorrow. But there's hope in Jesus. Maybe you're somebody who says, man, I I have been walking in sin and I just need somebody to pray with me. I'll be up here. We'll do that. But let's close with this song and then you'll be dismissed.